This is Common Ground Radio, an hour-long discussion of local food and organic agriculture with people here in the state of Maine and beyond. Brought to you each month by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association in conjunction with WERU, your community radio station. I'm Holly Cedarholm, and I'm here with my co-host, Caitlin Barker. Caitlin, I'm really excited for today's show. Who did you interview? Hi, Holly. Um, I had a really interesting conversation with Abby Sadowskis, who farms at Apple Creek Farm in Bodenham and is also a member of the University of Maine Cooperative Extension Farm Coaching Team, and Ryan Dennett, who is MOFCA's Farmer Programs Director. So we talked about farming and stress, which is a really big topic, um, and we hit on a lot of different areas, including land access, pandemic, and how the pandemic has affected farmers in Maine, PFAS, the crisis that's unfolding across Maine as we speak, climate change, um, financial stability, and so many more um, topics. And it was really interesting to learn that farming is among the most stressful careers in the country. So we discussed the impact these stressors are having on the farmers. We discussed some resources that are available right now to farmers. If our listeners want to visit weru.org, they can see those resources listed in the show notes. And we also talked about what farming in Maine means and why people are drawn to it. So a bright spot is that you know, Maine has seen a decrease in the average age of farmers, and we have the second highest rate of beginning farmers in the country. So it's really exciting. But at the same time, we have these major stressors that farmers are dealing with that aren't always visible to the general public. Um, So a really valuable show, and I hope you enjoy it. I can't wait to listen. That sounds like a lot of important stuff was covered, and I hope folks will stay tuned. Now here is Caitlin Barker with Abby Sadowskis and Ryan Dunnett. As always, archives of previous episodes of Common Ground Radio can be found on weru.org, as well as on the WERU app. Welcome to Common Ground Radio, a show all about food and farming in Maine, brought to you by the Maine Organic Farmers and Gardeners Association in conjunction with WERU 89.9 FM Blue Hill. I'm your host, Caitlin Barker, and today's show is a really relevant topic. We're talking about farming and stress. My guests today are Abby Sadowskis, a farmer at Apple Creek Farm and a member of the University of Maine Cooperative Extension Farm Coaching Team, and Ryan Dennett, MOFCA's Farmer Programs Director. Um, So welcome, both of you. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us. Yeah, um, I want to start by asking each of you to briefly introduce yourself and share a little about your work related to agriculture and well-being. Um, Abby, do you want to jump in first? Sure, I'd be happy to. Thanks for the introduction. So I'm the co-owner, co-operator at Apple Creek Farm in what is now Bodenham. Um, We are a certified organic, diversified organic livestock operation, and we market our products primarily at three farmers markets weekly in Brunswick. Um, And so I am super fortunate in that I get to hang out with farmers three days a week. And so I will touch on that as well as um, working as part of the Maine Farm Coaching Team. Um, So that's a project at the University of Maine Cooperative Extension. And in that program, I also get to work Um, alongside other farmer coaches to aid farmers as they kind of identify and and look for support in working through problems of communication, decision-making, kind of big picture challenges related to their own well-being on their farms. 
Great, thanks. R Ryan, you want to jump in and give a little overview of your role? Sure. Um, as the director of farmer programs, I work with a number of staff um, to provide training programs, workshops, individual assistance, grant opportunities for farmers. And I think we always try to factor in wellness, all of our programs, we try to have, have them be holistic programs. So if we're teaching um, a financial program, uh, we're not just teaching the financial statements, we're starting off by talking to farmers about what their values are, what they want their life to look like and make sure that that whole picture is addressed. Um, and a lot of our programs target different stress points along the, the journey of establishing and running a business, um, trying to look specifically at the stresses that beginning farmers are facing or more established farmers that may be at a point where they need to pivot their business to scale it um, up or down, uh, depending on what what the market, what business looks like, what their family situation looks like, um, just to make sure that we're really supporting farmers in their business and their well-being. Well, farming in Maine, I mean, this time of year, things are really ramping up. Summer is starting, um, the summer, summer crowd is coming, the farmer's markets are starting to have a lot of different produce appearing and things are getting really busy and as an outsider that farming um, community or that farming industry also often looks kind of idyllic like very romantic um, and i'm wondering what's the reality of farming in maine from your perspectives so um this is abby and i guess i'll speak to this as a as a livestock farmer um and as a, a market grower is that there are a lot of aspects of our farms that we don't share. So um, some of those might include the vagarities of weather. Um, for instance, the fact that the weather report this week said it was gonna be clear all week and we had showers last night, we are gonna have showers today and we've got two fields of hay down. Um, and how kind of uh, challenging that is when you're at farmer's market, when people ask like, how are things? You know, most people want 30 seconds or less and they want some cool story about what's happening and really like I think expect us to be upbeat and I think most of the time like that's pretty I'm I'm definitely a hundred percent extrovert and so I like that um but I also do try to help people understand like farming is is like any small business is super expensive it's super time consuming it takes up pretty much all your spare time like there's not really a time where you're you're not working particularly when in maine we are cramming our growing season into sort of three or four months um and that income needs to sustain us for 12 months so i think those are the some of the the pieces that get you know kind of tucked away i guess um and i would say too like you know social media does a good job of um expecting us to like put forth that idyllic piece pretty much all the time, even though there are existential pieces like climate change or um, the stripping of rights that we've come to like in my lifetime, pretty much expect. So I think that, you know, being able to balance like what happens on the day to day is actually way easier than looking around at what's happening on a societal level. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's what I try to sell our customers like, Things on the farm are actually pretty good. Like we, you know, we can um, 
tolerate these changes in the weather. We can be we can be really um, creative about how we approach those problems. But when I look around at the bigger problems, that's where I feel a lot more like, geez, how are we going to deal with this? And those things, you know, I think the piece that sometimes people forget is like, we're farmers, we're also actually people who live in society. And so I think that's, again, a piece where helping people remember that we have to live in the same systems as everyone else. We have to pay taxes. We have to have insurance. Um, we got to, you know, deal with creditors and, and um, pay our bills. So those are the, the pieces that um, I think as farmers, we can do a better job of kind of helping people remember that stuff while they're, you know, kind of looking at how great our life is because we get to be outside a ton and we get to um, nurture animals and see new life and things like that. Yeah, uh, I totally hear that, especially the social media aspect. I mean, that's reflected across a wide variety of industries and and public in general, like that front facing always need to be perfect or showcase those ideal moments um, and, and really not pulling the the cover back to show the reality what how about you ryan i'm interested to see what your perspective is in terms of the realities of farming yeah well i you know those idyllic aspects do exist there are those they exist in moments that are very satisfying getting to work out in nature and be in control um, of your business uh, but farming is just so all-encompassing. And that again, that can be really satisfying. I always loved the opportunity to work outside and do physical work and do spreadsheets and talk to people. Um, but that's also a lot, you know, often we have like a beginning farmer, maybe one person taking on all of those things, which I don't believe, I, I think it's very rare for one person to be extremely skilled um, and just everything that goes into having a successful farm. And, you know, as farms grow and hopefully add on team members or partners, that's great to find where your strengths lie in the business and hopefully they're complementary. but it also just requires a huge amount of communication with, if you have a farming partner, your employees, your customers, that's a lot of like shifting gears and different types of communication that people need to excel at. So. There, there certainly are like a lot of satis- there's a lot of satisfaction and, and wonderful aspects of running a business, but farming certainly um, just requires a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your that description reminds me kind of from my perspective of parenting, like these this really long haul that's overwhelming and totally exhausting, but there's these moments that really just make it so worth it and and kind of, kind of sustain you as you move forward and through it. So another next question, there's, there's a lot of different types of farmers in Maine. We've got dairy farmers, mixed vegetable producers, potato growers, flower farmers, all these different farmers. Can you speak to how the challenges vary between the different sectors? I would just say that I think there are likely um, different types of farms in Maine that are more likely to experience certain pressures, larger farms, dairy farms require potato farms up in the county have really high um, capital needs. And so um, there may be more financial pressures there. Some farms might be more likely to be generational in nature. Um, And so 
financial aspects, but also communication between generations to, to make that transfer possible. And Abby could certainly speak more to that. Um, and then, you know, we just, Mafka in particular works with a lot of farmers who may be new to the state, um, may not have a lot of capital assets to get a farm started. Um, so there's certainly challenges there and land access is, is certainly part of that, especially right now. There's one other, oh, and, and I'm just thinking of dairy farms. Certainly there are other types of farmers as well are just so beholden to um, the current markets that they're serving um, where there's not a lot of possibility to easily pivot. Um, and, and those markets are just really challenging right now. Abby, did you wanna jump in with anything here? Sure, um, I mean, I think a little bit about capital and labor. So um, on the capital side of things, you know, I see a lot more farms working on leased land to grow veg in particular because um, the startup is, is relatively, you know, most annual crops you're able to plant and harvest in one year. So you don't need to start out as long of land tenure versus livestock operations where um, you might be trying to improve a hay field that's been sitting for a number of years um, and you need a lot longer time period to make that work. You know, over the last couple of years, there's been a lot more um, pressure on available land. And I think that, that that is different for livestock farmers than it is for vegetable growers. You know, a lot of folks can envision what a vegetable field looks like, um, but they may see that usage for livestock, either as hay or grazing land as less valuable. And then I guess the labor piece, you know, being at farmer's market, um, the last, you know, I've been at farmer's market for around 10 years, um, labor is always an issue and it's always a topic of discussion. But I think just thinking about the general thinking is that one person per acre for veg um, means that farms are either smaller or they have to hire a lot of people to manage acreage. Um, and that is different uh, different concern for the average livestock producer. Most livestock producers hire folks in the season um, and are not, not generally looking for full-time year-round staff. So, you know, I think in both cases, what's shared is like the challenge and the stress of bringing on new employees, when to bring them on, how to get them acclimated to your system, um, how to ensure that their training is like, you know, well capitalized on to put it in really capitalist terms. And then, you know, how to um, make things work on the farm on the day to day. You know, I think the questions around varying, but I think that the big challenges are um, having people work in the farm system. You know, communication covers a lot of territory. And um, that's where most of my professional work has been focused is on helping people um, improve those systems. What role does community play in the well-being of farmers? from your perspectives? Well, I guess I'll tackle this one as a farmer. Um, I feel super fortunate to go to farmer's market and hear from our customers three days a week, particularly the last couple of years through the pandemic, through, um, you know, I would say all of the societal unrest and um, confusion and feelings of uncertainty. It is actually really nice to go somewhere and um, see people who already have a good sense of like what your values are and to be able to talk to one another face-to-face -face as humans. Um, I feel like there's not, not a lot of places where that has been happening. And so that's great. 
as well as being able to talk to folks that are in a very similar position um, professionally, right? So um, I'm next to flower farmers and bakers, and we are all kind of focused on this idea and the idyllic component of community building around food. Um, so I think that's huge. And it's also like where really great tips are shared on a practical level, like um, how are we dealing with the new QuickBooks upgrade? Is everybody cool with that? You know, how are people handling payroll? What are, what do those things look like? As well as kind of thinking about how can our food community be more accessible? Um, so, you know, one of our markets um, just made it happen alongside a bunch of community partners to um, take SNAP EBT two days a week within walking distance of pretty much everything in Brunswick. So those sorts of things start to play out as well. And I think all of that kind of fills the cup, right? Um, I, I do know a lot of farmers who don't have that opportunity, who feel pretty disengaged or just sort of like, where does my work fit in? And I think it can be really challenging to be on the farm all the time. Um, and so I think from my perspective, community plays a huge role in ensuring that farmers continue to feel valued and supportive. Yeah, on that note, but beyond farmers markets, are there are resources or ways for farmers to connect outside of going to market to share resources or communicate? MAFCA puts a lot of emphasis on um, creating and supporting peer networks. All of our workshops and farm tours, we want to recognize that farmers are experts and have valuable information to share with each other. Um, we have a very active listserv of over 330 farmers who connect about things related to business, but also um, just life and how is everyone doing. I think it's really important for farmers to have that space to share vulnerabilities with each other, to share changes they're making on the farm, um, and for other farmers to like see that see that side of everyone's business um, and you know like kind of behind the scenes of social media um, to have safe spaces to connect to talk about what the challenges are to share those experience and um, hear about like what what folks are trying out um, and that they and that other farmers are thinking about their wellness um, and trying to just achieve a better balance between their life and farm. So in addition to having you know that community connection that sense of belonging what other things can positive, positively impact farmer well-being? This is Abby. I guess I would share, like, this winter, um, I took a couple of classes with um, labor movement. And so that involved going to the gym um, once a week, basically from November to March. And that was huge. Um, I think because one of the things that weighs on my mind is how integral, like, my body is to our business. Um, what we do is phys very physical and, you know, even just going to market, which oftentimes I think seems like the easy job on the farm means, you know, lifting and carrying a lot of heavy coolers full of meat. And so my goal I think was to um, keep that like peak physical fitness from the end of the season where you feel your strongest and your most powerful and carry that through into the next season. Um, and in addition to that, it just really was like a good time to like literally go blow off some steam and connect with, it happened to be other female farmers that attended those sessions. And so I think 
you know, having other interests on the farm is something I hear from a lot of retiring farmers or folks who are exploring like what comes after farming that they haven't really had the opportunity to um, develop interests or explore what might be after farming or what might align well with farming. And so I think that's a component that could be more highlighted is that, you know, we have these opportunities for physical fitness that maybe some of us brought us, some of us to farming. I used to love like camping and hiking. Um, that endurance piece is really aligns well with farming interests. Um, but it's hard during the season to take the time to do that. So, you know, I think um, those other ways of connecting with the outdoors or, finding more ways to like get together with people um, on a weekly basis are, are really crucial. I think Ryan mentioned it and Mafka does a great job of supporting cohorts. Um, I think all of Mafka's programming is cohort based, which means you get together with a group of people and you kind of go deep and you share a lot about um, the topic area. And I think that's huge, particularly for folks who maybe are geographically distanced or for whom it might be helpful to have a safe space where they're with, um, you know, self-identified like folks. Um, I think that can be really huge because in general, it, it, I think it's been harder to find those kind of alliances during the last couple of years. And then I guess I would also say like, I do feel like there's a lot of producer groups that kind of bolster what happens on social media. I mean, I like social media because I feel like I can go on there and like kind of give people props, you know, um, people share a lot of really cool stuff that's happening on their farm, on their social media. Um, and that kind of connection does also open up the opportunity to share, like, actually this went terribly. It looks great, right? That photo is awesome. What you don't see is X, Y, Z. Um, and I think the more that we can kind of connect on the individual level, the more comfortable people feel about sharing that stuff, or at least feel like, you know, that imposter syndrome is reduced a little bit. Um, to be totally honest, my feed is full of baby animals a lot of the time because that's what we do. And I think it can be just really a challenge to kind of be more vulnerable, but you know, the, the best way to do it is to sort of demonstrate it in my opinion. So I look to a lot of other farmers in um, Maine and beyond to demonstrate how to do that. Great. And you spoke to, um, you know, finding time, finding time for outside interests or, or new hobbies. How do you carve out time, especially, you know, now it's high season. Things are probably crazy where you are. I see farmers are basically nonstop. How do you carve out time to connect with maybe a partner or especially if you work with that partner or separate, you know, work and your personal life? Does it happen? Is it possible? That's something we definitely talk about in farmer to farmer spaces. There was one suggestion that I've always loved, uh, which is this farm took up surfing simply because if you want to be a surfer, you have to go when the waves are good. Um, whereas like other activities that you could just do at any time, it's really easy to put off and say, oh, we'll go next time. Um, and then I've seen, you know, in these conversations, people just like sort of like brainstorming a list with a group because I think you sort of run into the issue of like when you wait till dinner time and you're starving to figure out what to do for dinner and you just, you know, you get into that, that situation. Like, whereas if you have a list of ideas, it's, it's easier to follow up on them. Uh, and things like just having a set time every week or two weeks 
that you're planning to call someone or go for a walk with someone that you can go ahead and cancel if you need to, but you don't have to go through the work of making those arrangements every time. It's just something that by default is expected that you're going to do. I think that can be really helpful in making sure that it actually happens. Yeah, and I think um, looking at your family life, I'll call it that for lack of a better term, but um, my partner and I don't have children and yet we do spend a lot of our time in the off season kind of figuring out, okay, how can we divide some of the household tasks? Cause we haven't really touched on that, but um, that is like the far less sexy side of having a farm is that we don't have a housewife who provides our meals and those sorts of things. Like that's one of us is responsible for that. Um, and so as Ryan mentioned, like meal planning is a big part of what we do. We also divide our week so that one of us is, is taking care of meals um, three days a week so that we know, like I come home from market, I know I don't have to like come up with something. And I think in the same sense, you know, looking at housework and looking at those sorts of things um, together can actually, in, in my experience, kind of open up new possibilities in terms of um, how to get those things done so you actually have time where you can enjoy one another. You know, for us, we try to take the first Sunday of the month off. And that off is um, in quotes because really what that looks like is for us doing morning chores and then trying to do something out of the ordinary and together. Um, and I think there is like good findings out there that the more often you do something that you haven't done before with your um, significant other, the more bonding that creates because you're both having new experiences. And I think that's where it's like that planning component. Um, a really wise farmer came to speak to a farmer training session that I did years ago. And they said that they make most of their decisions in the winter. So their crop planning or production planning happens in the winter so that during the season, they don't have to make a bunch of decisions. And I think that is something I've carried with me as um, really wise. And so to trying to apply that on a weekly basis or a monthly basis to sort of say, here are the things we're going to do and here's the space we're going to carve out is really important. And I think also developing friendships where people understand, you know, as Ryan mentioned, like being able to flake out on something, you can't do that with all your friends. And um, I think just having friends is, is important um, whether they be from farming or they are just like, you know, people who have no affiliation to farming um, having a supportive group of folks that kind of get you is, is crucial. And I think on the day to day, like when I think about how much time I spend just kind of like uh, looking at my phone, there's plenty of time in the day. Um, it's really about, you know, time management. And I think that's some of what when I think about coming back to that decision making, like if the decisions are made and there's a plan and there's a schedule, um, we have a, a pretty set farm schedule that we look to every week to provide some stability. It can happen. But um yeah, we also have the reality of like, if an animal gets out, right, you can't really, <laughs> you can't really put that off, you kind of have to do it right now. Related to the decision making um, that Abby's speaking about, I think also, as part of that, like, considering making investments, identifying those points of strain, and putting money towards making them better, whether that's something on the farm, um, you know, we, we give out some implementation grants to help farmers identify um, a food safety improvement they need to make. And I've just heard from folks like that was just a really good experience of like trying out making investments in their farm and seeing that like it solved the food safety issue, but it also made their farm so much more in, uh, efficient in a way that got them really excited <laughs> about like 
building up their farm to be more efficient to make their life better and then even on the household scale of like my happiness related to our farm increased vastly when we got a dishwasher <laughs> you know <laughs> like yes. there's a huge difference yeah that i yep. was i was having the same idea this concept especially the way abby described it can be transferred across our life like clear communication skills um, connections to people having a plan and structure in place that you and your partner or significant other or whoever is on board with is certainly a great idea if you're just joining us you're listening to common ground radio on weru 89.9 fm blue hill on today's show we're discussing farming and stress I'm your host, Caitlin Barker, and I'm currently speaking with Abby Sadowskis, a farmer at Apple Creek Farm and a member of the University of Maine Cooperative Extension Farm Coaching Team, and Ryan Dennett, MOFCA's Farmer Programs Director. So I'd like to transition now to talk about some of these big challenges that farmers in Maine are facing now. Um, right off the top of your head, can you, can you name a few of the big and greatest challenges right now? I think Brian already touched on this, but land access and access to capital um, are two that come top of mind, closely followed by climate change. I was reading an article this morning that was more related to um, Maine's uh, restaurant and service industry, but the article was basically saying that 72% of Maine homes are recreational homes, which is kind of astounding. And I think that really to me typifies the change we've seen over the last two to three years in um, the ability of new farmers to enter the farming field. And Maine historically has had really great numbers in terms of the number of new farmers entering um, and being attracted to Maine specifically because of the really great community and resources that MOFCA has fostered for 50 years. But I think the reality is that um, I was visiting with a friend the other day who she and her husband bought 80 acres and a cape with a small barn in 1972 for $15,000. By contrast, my partner and I bought roughly a little bit less acres, 72 acres with a falling down house in 2014 for $135,000. And so I think that really does beget the question within the farming community, how do farmers make a living when the capital needs for acquisition of land are so high? because it really would be a shame to miss the opportunity to connect stress to financial stress within this conversation. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think the, the historic perspective on farming is really rooted in the idea of veneerings, of the pay-as-you-go model, which has been, for our farm, hugely problematic in terms of the ability for us to scale our business to, in a way that supports our financial goals and our well-being. Um, it has always asked us to compromise one or the other in order to make our payments on our land. We really needed to, you know, one of the things we used to do was raise turkeys for Thanksgiving because it was such a lucrative market. And it was one thing we hated. We would always fight. Um, and then came the realization that this holiday was not super great. Right. But how do you make a philosophical choice when you know that from a financial perspective, it's really essential. Um, so I think that, you know, land access is a huge one. Um, and I would love listeners to, to kind of think about how to um, consider what will happen to their land after they stop using it or farms in their community, what, what the plan might be for those. And then 
I think access to capital has has changed dramatically. Um, but there's still a lot of ways that farmers cannot access the resources they need to make necessary investments. And that, you know, as livestock farmers, why I see there is a lot more vegetable farms that are coming into markets versus livestock farms, because the amount of infrastructure that's necessary for a year round livestock operation is pretty different. Um, our climate dictates that we have housing for animals um, and those are really expensive to put up. And a lot of that infrastructure um, has been repurposed and, you know, isn't readily available. Or if it is, the exiting farmers need a lot of money to compensate them for it because they have not had the ability to put money away in a traditional sense. Or they were following that model of pay as you go. And so they built their business really, really slowly over time um, and haven't had, you know, the the basically the windfall for them to retire on is the value of the real estate asset they own. So, you know, those pieces I think are to me top of mind. Brian, do you, do you want to speak to um, challenges that farmers are facing now from your perspective? I, in the past year have just been heavily immersed in, um, I guess maybe less widespread, but really intense stress for farmers related to PFAS contamination, obviously for the farms who are experiencing contamination, but I think there's a certain level of stress for everyone um, about whether and how to investigate their own risk, um, how to communicate with their customers. And then I think I really have learned a lot about um, the dairy industry when the Horizon farmers in Maine lost their contracts last year um, and I'm learning about the stress that they're under, but also more broadly, the markets are so uncertain right now. Um, in this moment, our organic dairy farmers in Maine are receiving a lower base price from their markets than conventional farmers are receiving. In their case, just incredible financial stress, uncertainty with markets, really difficult for them to pivot to something else. So there's a shared, I think the shared stress that all farmers are experiencing relating to weather, um, input prices, labor, and then there's just uh, these these specific stresses in particular that um, many of our main farms are experiencing too. I wonder about the pandemic and the effect it's had on farmers and farmers markets um, over the last couple of years. Maybe Abby you could speak to that as a farmer who, who attends markets. Have you seen a change or a shift over the last two years? Definitely, I think in two kind of aspects. One is that a lot of farmers retired. Um, there was a lot being asked of farmers in terms of basically getting new information, pivoting actual physical displays, um, changing hours of markets, those sorts of things, um, as well as supply chain disruption. So in our markets, we saw, you know, I would say three to four people in each market who took the opportunity to step away from their business. And what was interesting is that historically, um, the mid coast markets we're in in Brunswick are pretty competitive to get into. And not so much in this past year, but the two years previous, there was a lot of uncertainty um, and not a ton of people wanted to enter farmers markets. Um, they seemed, I think, like a pretty risky way to do things. A lot of people, I think, for, you know, um, a lot of folks want to farm. They don't necessarily want to talk about farming. 
and they don't want that pressure of um, kind of putting on a happy face to go to market. So we've seen fewer applicants, fewer new farms kind of um, looking at farmer's market as their primary outlet, which is a big change. Um, and it is a big change because Maine does have a really robust um, market scene. You know, and that being said, I think um, this year things seem to have stabilized somewhat, but there's, you know, there's still market gaps. Um, and I worry about, you know, as I look around at Mark, as um, at some of the senior members of our farmers markets and know that they're going to leave in three to five years, um, I'm not seeing that there's folks at the scalar capacity there to fill those spaces. So I think it will be interesting to see what um, what comes. And then it also just makes me, you know, kind of concerned about, you know, what um, what kind of legacy markets are going to have because it they they are really good space for new food businesses to kind of get their feet wet and understand the market a little bit more. Um, we have had some new folks that are you know really focused businesses, and I think that's really awesome because it gives them a sense and some cash flow to start something up. Yeah, it kind of remains to be seen. I just want to point out a, a point of resilience that I see has a lot of potential and strength is is that we saw um, some great things happening in the pandemic with farmers collaborating, um, working cooperatively with each other, buying food from each other as they, you know, maybe started their own farm stand or had stronger markets. Uh, it just that seems like a real opportunity for farmer wellness to see more collaboration among farmers. And Abby talked about that transition of farmers, older farmers um, retiring. I know that research shows that farmers in, in years five through 10 of their business are statistically most likely to fail. But what challenges do those beginning farmers face? Yeah, I mean, for for a long time, we kind of, um, I kind of refer those to those folks as re-strategizing and that isn't something that necessarily only happens in the first five to ten years for some farms it happens three times in that first ten years um and that re-strategizing um as ryan spoke about earlier might be because new team members come on um roles shift uh you know child rearing does demand a lot from farmers and so those are kind of um points of inflection within the farm business and i think there's also like the first five years are generally the adrenaline-fueled rush to get things established. And once that adrenaline dissipates, sometimes farmers are left with a farm that they're not really sure they recognize or it doesn't really reflect um, what they're what they wanted in their early years. Um, so I think, you know, Mafka has done a good job of providing the Farm Beginnings Program to help people focus on big picture. What do they want their farm to look like and what does life balance look like? And then um, I've been involved in that program in the past. And then I think the farm coaching does a good job of kind of shepherding folks through that process. Um, a lot of the, the coaching is self-designed. So farmers um, kind of start out with identifying their strengths and weaknesses and opportunities and challenges, and then take it from there in terms of what they'd like to learn in order to um, kind of come through with more clarity. And I think that those that kind of tailored approach or one-on-one -on -one approach is super helpful, as well as the cohort model, which we've already talked about, which helps farmers kind of see that they're not the only one in that position. Um, from where I sit with like the one-on-one -on -one support, I often hear farmers say things like, well, I'm sure I'm the only one that 
fill in the blank. And um, I think it can be really helpful sometimes to hear like, actually, no, you're not the only one. And here are some, you know, some things I've heard in a situation like yours. Um, and I think also just having service providers who are ready to like listen and not immediately jump into problem solving can be really helpful um, because I, I think on the farm, I'm asked to solve problems like often, but sometimes it's also helpful to have conversations in which I'm not so sure what the problem is and have space and resources to kind of explore how the problem might, I might be looking at the problem and get perspectives on the problem as well as identify ways that I've already solved that problem before. Um, Cause I think that's the cool piece about working with farmers and being part of the farming community is that folks do an awesome job at solving problems on the daily. And then part of the work in farm coaching I like is that I just get to lift those up to sort of say like, here's how you told me you've already solved that problem. Do you want to like go through it again? I think Abby did a really good job answering that question. Um, the only thing I would add is I, I think about how my experience has been a business doesn't necessarily grow at a steady state over time. You know, you can get by growing with certain tools and equipment and systems for a certain amount of time where then you hit a wall where if you want to continue to grow, if you want to access a new market, you need to start using a different system, make a, a large investment um, in infrastructure. And that can also be really hard to figure out what comes next and how to make it happen. Um, and so for some some farms that sort of, um, yeah, them hitting a wall and, and struggling in that phase of their business. I guess I would add too that there's like, you know, I think oftentimes maybe people think about, oh, well, you just need to update your business plan. And um, I think Mafka's general approach, um, which I kind of like became a farmer in, is that pulling back and looking at the whole system and trying to figure out, is that business decision going to have repercussions on your, you know, your quality of life? And what are those repercussions? And are those things that you want to do? Um, having the time and space and either a cohort or, you know, um, some type of, of coaching scenario, whether that's a mentor or um, a business advisor can be super helpful um, because otherwise it, it often, I feel like it often feels like we are making decisions just based on the financial aspect of things. And those definitely have repercussions. Um, and as Ryan pointed out, there's also really like practical stuff. Like if we increase the number of hens that we have, we also need to increase our spending on cartons. We need to increase the capacity we have for cold storage. And so having um, additional minds to kind of think about that and identify those pinch points um, can be really helpful so that farmers are making investments that look not just a year out, but two, three, four, five years. Um, and I think, again, here would be where I want to say that sometimes the financial investment isn't there. I would say I know many farmers who are waiting on several grants that are being rolled out right now um, that will be you know, give them the funds to make these investments. Um, and so I think right now is a particularly kind of vulnerable time where uh, it'd be great to win the lottery, right? But if the lottery doesn't come through, what are our plans and how do we pivot or how do we um, adjust our expectations? So, well, in preparing for the show, I was reading about farmers and stress in general. As I read, I, I learned farming is listed in the top 10 most stressful 
industries across the country, which I didn't realize. And then when you start digging into it and you realize all the different ways farming can be stressful from financial to labor to mental health to so so much more, all these intersectional ways, I wonder what those resources are. What's available to a farmer right now who's listening, who's saying, I'm struggling with my relationships, I'm struggling financially, or I'm struggling in, in all these different ways what's out there right now that farmers can access and how can they access it? Um, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, there's funding right now from the USDA through a farmer and rancher stress assistance network. They have wellness grants. Uh, farmers, farm workers can apply for them. They're $500. They can be used for anything um, that is needed to improve wellness and they go directly to the farmer. If you have show notes, I can I can share a link to that, um, but they're available through our website and also Cooperative Extension. Uh, and I think a number of other organizations as well. I think connecting with MAFCA, um, both to develop relationships with our staff who spend a lot of time going out to visit farms texting with farms, having phone calls with farms. We're always here um, to really try to strengthen those relationships to support farmers, but also we have a number of programs that you can learn about on our website that, um, as I mentioned, are all cohort-based if farmers need to access more of a, a peer network to rely upon. And I guess I would add um, the Maine Farm Coaching Program is part of a larger suite of programs um, focused on social sustainability that the University of Maine has been offering. And so there's a bunch of resources. Um, if you just Google Farm Coaching Maine, there are some like, uh, they're called Small Bites and there are some tips that um, another farmer, Polly Shaika and myself, and along with university staff developed primarily over 2020. So those, those came out um, in these kind of weekly bits. Um, those can be really helpful you can also reach out to Maine's Agricultural Mediation Program um, if there's a scenario or a situation that may not even be like um, at a crisis point. It's even better if you're able to reach out and get some perspective from someone before it becomes um, a really problematic piece. Um, if you just need some support in working through conversations, um, particularly difficult conversations, mediation can be super helpful. Um, and bring some folks to the table who are trained to help you think about how to have those those challenging conversations. I'll add that if, if folks are feeling really stressed, um, they can dial 211, uh, which is a comprehensive hotline that connects callers with local resources and counselors. Um, there's a number of warm and hotlines that farmers can access. Um, those are all available on our website. There's a farm aid hotline, it's 800 Farm Aid, which is 327-6243. And that's available Monday through Friday from nine to five. These are great resources. Because, um, I mean, we talk about climate change and rising prices in the supply chain and the markets. Um, but I don't think we talk enough about the mental health and the drain that farming can have on people. And, you know, the rates of depression and suicide in farmers is really high. And so it's a conversation that I hope can be brought out into the open more and resources that can be shared more widely um, to do what you said, Abby, to address it before it gets to that crisis point to kind of get it, get the conversation going well before that. 
on that note, why do you think farming continues to grow as an industry in Maine? What is it about Maine and farming in general that people are drawn to? I guess I would share um, what drew me to Maine was that there is, if you were to draw a Venn diagram of all of the um, kind of different communities in Maine around um, natural resource-based businesses, there's a care for the environment that is um, kind of a uniting piece of that. Where I grew up, that is not the the sort of place that a lot of people can agree. Um, and I think even though a lot of times in Maine that is to um, support the tourist industry, which is, you know, huge. Um, I do feel like that's part of the reason why um, so many folks come to Maine is that there is this clear care for the environment. And I think that, you know, philosophically is why I was drawn to the Maine farming community. It's really um, integral work. It feels really important. Um, I was an artist and I always say that, you know, I'm having the same conversations at farmer's market as I would have been if I stayed in being an artist. Um, when people come to gallery openings, you're talking about your general philosophy and like what the change you wanna manifest in the world. Um, and I'm able to do that and feed people now. And so I feel like despite the actual reality of that and the grind, um, I feel like that is a lot of the reason why people keep coming to Maine. And I would also say like at farmer's market, every week I hear from people who've moved from other places because of pollution you know, whether that be fracking or um, other pieces and climate change, you know, folks that are getting um, displaced because it's too, you know, their, their farms are burning down um, or there's not water. And so I think the Northeast in general is more attractive um, because of that. And we've been so far fairly fortunate to not have a lot of extreme weather impact us. You know, when I compare the weather we have compared to like the really dramatic and um, destructive forces that I see elsewhere. I think those of us who grew up in Maine and choose to stay here to farm, there's just such a strong sense of place here. And it's, it's just such an amazing state that particularly for someone who's interested in, in stewarding land, um, it's a wonderful place to be. I think, you know, we hear from folks who move here from out of state that Although land access is really challenging, um, prices are often relatively affordable compared to where folks are moving from. And especially connecting with other programs across the country and beginning farmers who move here, Maine just has excellent resources for farmers, beginning farmers in particular, um, from a lot of different programs, uh, organizations, agencies, who all work really well together compared to what we see in other states. So there is just um, really a remarkable network of support for farmers here in Maine. I guess I would add, like, I feel like our um, congressional representatives are very tuned into the importance of farming as an industry. Um, and I feel like very fortunate that Maine is a small state in that we can call people up um, you know, as a farmer, there's a lot of opportunity for me to connect with those folks. So um, it does. And, and in my time in farming, I have seen that local level advocacy um, result in policy change that has been super important, like micro loans from um, the Farm Service Agency. Those didn't exist before. And in part, it was because of the, um, the folks 
on the ground in the state communicating with farmers and hearing from farmers about needs. So I think that is is pretty unique when I tell people, you know, that um, we can do that. It's it's kind of exciting. And that's not to say that everything works perfectly, but I think um, that is notable. And as Ryan mentioned, that cooperation amongst entities and agencies is very unique. Um, there's a lot more competition in other states, and that means that farmers have to do a lot more legwork. Whereas in Maine, we have the Maine Farmer Resource Network that really everyone sitting at the table at those meetings um, is committed to the idea that they will help farmers find assistance either in their agency or in another. Um, so the farmer doesn't have to do that work. Yeah, I'm, I'm coming out of this with a better sense of the community that surrounds our new farmers and, and older farmers in general, like the, the resources and the support available um, is really incredible. Do either of you have any last thoughts you want to add, resources or ideas? I guess I would encourage farmers, if they're listening, if they have a piece of land that they're not using to its fullest potential, um, to get in touch with MOFCA or Maine Farmland Trust or Land for Good to learn how they can make that available. Um, there are a lot of folks who are interested in growing food for their community and some of what is holding them back is having having access to a piece of land. Um, yeah. I guess we did touch earlier on challenges that different types of farms face in Maine. I do think it's worth our time to, to touch on the different challenges that different types of farmers with different identities have in Maine, um, whether they are black, indigenous, people of color, members of the LGBTQ community, female, may not speak English as their first language or maybe pre-literate. And while I am a white cis straight female, what I have heard from farmers and observed um, is that we do have more work to do to make sure that all farmers feel safe in our rural spaces um, and have full access to resources and more representation in our programs and workshops and um, and who of the staff are in our organizations um, and our even our you know farmer to farmer networks um, so that all farmers in Maine do have a sense of belonging um, and access to wellness resources. Yeah, and I would just echo and add on to that to say that um, I think there's a lot of, there has been a lot of really good energy around ensuring that everyone has access to um, the clean environment that we all want. Um, and so, you know, some examples of policy this winter that were um, impactful, you know, relate to clean water access for the tribes. And I think that um, component too shouldn't be understated is that, um, there are a lot of indigenous communities that don't have land access, obviously, in the way that um, they have. And thinking about how we can just consider consider that and how land is stewarded going forward. Um, I think a lot of what our conversation has focused on is has been um, thinking about the what is common, right? People own land, they control it, um, they manage it, and I think. Um, we're at an inflection point as a state to kind of think about what would it look like if land was returned, um, if Indigenous people manage watersheds, how would they function differently? And um, I think Maine is a really good place to see a lot of examples of that um, and how putting Indigenous communities in charge of those projects 
to um, and for the rest of us to, to follow along and support them versus kind of drive the process can be really beneficial. So I'm thinking about dam removal and ill wife restoration and things like that, that um, historically were rooted in this larger picture of um, how folks either made a living from natural resources or um, were subsisting in this environment. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up for to both of you for bringing that up. Um, I know Maine has been a leader in, in different arenas in the agricultural fields, and I, I hope we can be a leader in this as well and really set some precedents as we move forward. I want to thank both of you for joining me today. I've been talking with Abby Sadowskis and Ryan Dennett about farmer stress, and I really appreciate the two of you taking the time to have this conversation. This has been Common Ground Radio. Thanks for tuning in to our show today. Common Ground Radio can be heard on the second Thursday of each month at 4 p.m. right here on WERU Community Radio. Archives of previous episodes can be found on weru.org as well as the WERU app. A big thank you goes out to my guests today, Abby Sadowskis and Ryan Dennett, as well as to my co-host Holly Cedarholm and our producer Claire Boland. Thanks for joining us today. We'll be back next month. Stay tuned now for more great programming right here on 89.9 WERU.